Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just the Sip. Today, I am pulling from the archives. I feel like there are important conversations we had on this show years ago that I need to revisit because we are dealing and tackling with some of these issues right now. And I'm actually pulling the first interview I ever did for Just the Sip. The first person I ever sat down with, we discussed self-discovery, sexuality, sobriety, and the conversation got a little steamy. So please welcome from Younger, Nico Tortorella. How professional do I have to be during this interview? You Like, uh, what, I mean, what does that even mean, professional? Like, what can you not do like i'm just trying to figure out the boundaries because i'm blushing right now i can't tell because i have a big crush <laughs> um you're one of my favorite celebrities oh, thanks i love how open and honest you've been this whole time which is such a change from hollywood yeah we're not taught to be that way you know we're gonna get to that okay but i want to know you grew up in illinois i did what was that like uh chicago was great to grow up in i grew up like 20 minutes north of the city uh, and I started working in the city in Chicago as an actor on stage from a pretty young age at like 13. I booked my first show, my first like real show in the city. And I was in a show for three years on and off. Uh, it was a show about a, uh, a Catholic family in the 50s. And there were three brothers in the show. And I started off as an understudy for the youngest brother. Then I became the youngest brother. Then I played the middle brother. And then I closed playing the oldest brother. Wow. So I like grew up in this show. We did eight shows a week. Um, I missed school every Wednesday for matinees. So you're was, like a real actor. I mean, if, if like growing up on stage <laughs> means you're a real actor, then yes, I'm absolutely a real actor. Well, you know, like people come here and they say, oh, I want to be an actor, yeah. but, you know, and they get an agent and they get headshots and it's all about the fame. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants the fame. But this is something that you've done since you were 13 years old. Yeah. And it was definitely about the fame. Um when I moved to LA, I'm, so I, I, I went to school for a year in Chicago at Columbia, uh, just like doing gen ed and like art 
stuff because I like decided my yeah. senior year of high school that I was not going to act anymore, um, which did not last for very long. But I was getting involved in visual art, painting, a lot of mixed media stuff. And yeah. So I was going to art school in Chicago and then I transferred to Loyola Marymount here in L.A., I always knew in the back of my head that I was going to wind up in L.A. one way or another, and, and I, th this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. But it was always a means for a bigger message. Yeah. It, it was, it was to, to get the celebrity yeah. to use it for something much bigger than the celebrity. That makes much more sense because when you said it was for the fame, I'm like, oh, you, yo, you're, this bitch is coming out the gate. I'm coming, yes, for sure. But 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 it was because with fame comes a responsibility, and I was always more interested in the responsibility than I was in just being a movie star. And I think the more work, I mean, we're just jumping all over the place. Here. Oh no, I like the it. the more work that I have been doing on myself, the less like playing make believe and being a movie star is of importance. But transition? No, no, let me get there. Let me get there because yeah. I'm like, okay, we're going to jump. We're going to jump right into it. When you come to Hollywood, people tell you this is the public persona you're going to have mm. and you're going to stick with it and this is how we're going to book you and da da da. You've kind of sort of kicked that door down and decided to be who you are and be open about it. Did you get pushback from Hollywood at all? Mm. Agents, managers, or publicists? I don't say pushback but there were plenty of long conversations that were had on who I was and how people were going to perceive me and I still have those conversations especially when it comes to gender identity and and the more recent conversations that I've been having about non-binary and gender non-conforming issues but I think that the industry has changed so much even since I started even in the last couple of years yeah that was six months with me too the industry has drastically changed 100% and you know I mean I started in this industry when social media didn't exist at all and then don't you miss those days though I don't know if I do when you can do when no you could know. do, but I can still do. Nobody knows for sure. Can you? Hey, we're gonna uh, zoom in on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I. You know, people think that we know everything about everybody through social media, but we have to remember we're only getting the piece that they want to show us. Yeah, there's still plenty of room for private life. But going back to that conversation about social media not existing, like when Instagram popped and when we all started like sharing on Instagram, yeah, that's when the conversation in my life really came to the forefront with my agents and managers being like, okay, girl, put your shirt back on. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, what? The? Like, no, like everybody is doing this. And like, I, people are getting to know me rather than like Trevor from Scream 4 or Jacob from The Following. Like, I've always put myself first, not the characters that I've played. And we're all these like multi-dimensional dynamic humans and i think that that is really what has um been allotted to us through social media and i think that what is happening right now in this revolution of the internet is we're finding each other yeah in 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 a way that's never been possible since the beginning of time but speaking of finding yourself because <laughs> i feel like i'm still trying to figure out what it means to be gay Hmm. And what it means to be gay on TV hmm. and what it means to be black and gay because yeah. it's this whole thing. Right. You've gone through this whole journey of self-discovery and you've not hidden one thing from anyone. Hmm. You've done it pretty openly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How has that impacted your career? Well, it started right here in a podcast. It started with The Love Bomb. 
I got sober from alcohol three and a half years ago. I started having these conversations really seriously in my life. It was like, I don't, I don't want to say it was like one addiction to the next, but yeah. you know, from alcohol, I like moved on to this conversations about sexuality and gender. And it was just like, I became obsessed yeah. with trying to pick it apart and figure out why we're here having these conversations. And through the podcast, I mean, I just decided if I was having these conversations in my own waking life, why not share? Yeah. And that's what happened. And the second that those were released into the ether, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even begin to explain how much my life changed. Yeah. I can't even remember what the question was that you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, look, I am so like, I'm dripping on every word right here. You mentioned being sober for three and a half years. Yeah. What was that journey like for you to get sober? Like, how, what were you from alcohol specifically? I still smoke weed every every now and then. I love a psychoactive, but um, alcohol was my my issue for how long? Um, I mean, probably like 20, 20, 20. And you're 20, how old now? Tw- I'm turning thirty in a couple weeks. So twenty to twenty seven. You're this Hollywood actor. You're doing Scream for the following, younger, make it or break it. You're doing all these things Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. You're an actor. You're going to events. You're going to all these parties. You're giving everything. Alcohol, cocaine, everything is just thrown at you for free. Like nobody ever talks about that. And I think that like also, I mean, I brought up the Me Too movement. That's also a part of the conversation that's never really talked about in that space no like, one's connected it no one's connected the, the, the absurdity of the usage of drugs and alcohol in this industry and the connection to you know sexual misconduct like those are intrinsically linked for and, sure but nobody's having that conversation well now that we're having this conversation in the seven years that you felt that you were kind of in your addiction mm-hmm. did you ever experience something no i didn't really I think I put myself in some situations that I think, like, if I wasn't drunk, I wouldn't necessarily have been in. But I don't think I was ever taken advantage of or ever took advantage of anyone. I mean, I... I mean... Luckily, when I would get blacked out drunk, I would go to sleep. <laughs> I would just go to sleep. Nothing bad would happen. You were you know? smart. Yes, exactly. Thank God. Um, but, I don't know, I just bring that up because, like, it frustrates me that that's never really part of the conversation. No, I agree with that. What was your the scariest part in your addiction? Mm, just what I was doing to myself, like how I was hurting myself. Uh, I mean, there were a couple like benders that were really bad. And I would just, uh, I mean, thankfully, uh, thank God, I never hurt anybody else and I never jeopardized my work. Like nobody ever really knew what was happening. I like towards the end when it was getting bad, like I was by myself. Yeah. I was by myself locked in an apartment in New York City for days. But you say bad, like what do you mean bad? Like what were, how much were you drinking? Oh, I, ju- I was just drunk for days on end and like doing drugs. And people knew. I mean, the people in my life that were closest to me, like Bethany knew and a few of our friends knew. And like a few of my family members knew, I was just a wreck. I was in a lot of pain. I was like really, really hurting. And I think looking back in hindsight, it had a lot to do with my sexuality and my gender and like not being able to really like live to my um, fullest uh, as, as who I was and who I loved or had the potential of loving. And I think for so long, I was like, numbing the pain before I really knew how to heal. Yeah. And in these last three and a half years, like I have really um 
started to wrap my head around the healing process. You find that once you became honest with yourself, mm -hmm. that you could let go of that demon. It's not even just honest with yourself, it's honest with other people, you know? Yeah. It, 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 it's, I mean, the only way you can be honest with other people is by being honest with yourself. But I think like both of those will always and forever be a work in progress. It's not about landing on a destination. These conversations for me, and they are, they are and can be and will be for other people always, about like landing on a destination, it, that's never been the end result because that means there's an end result. And I think that in my life, I'm not looking for any sort of end result. It's always this like endless growth, physical manifestation of process and journey. Another thing that you were so open about was you had body dysmorphia. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I do. It's not that I had. I think, yeah, uh, yeah, I do. And I'm wondering because I, I, I you know, you have. Again, Hollywood is such a high-pressure place to look the best, to be the best, to be on your game. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that, and how do you really, how do you really nourish your body and your mind, and not get caught up in that Hollywood game that feeds into that body, this well, mafia? You just stop playing it. You stop playing somebody else's game, and you start playing your own game. And that's really what I've been doing in the last like couple years. Really, I mean, and most intensely with the book. And the work that I've been doing post book, all of it is you. I'm just I'm not playing anyone else's game anymore. You're like done. I've, it's not that I'm done. I've just created my own game. And like when, when, when you're playing your own game, like nobody else's game matters. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean when I say like it, being a movie star, playing into it's just not it's not it's not at the top of my totem these days because like my my dreams and, and, and what I want and these these babies that I'm birthing with my own artwork are so much more fulfilling than any other person's project that I've ever done. What's at the top of your totem pole? <sighs> Tell me what's at what's the top. What's at my top? <laughs> <laughs> um, God's at the top, you know? Yeah. That is the driving force. I think if God is one, two is philanthropy and like actually being representing the positive change that you want to see in the world. And three is marrying Justin and Sylvester. three is marrying Justin. <laughs> 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 Speaking of your marriage, <laughs> let me break this down for that you guys. That was a transition that, yeah, Let me tell you, let me tell one. you, because I got a lot to talk about this. I am so interested in this. Mm -hmm. and I'm be try trying to come one of your sister wives at this yes. point. Yes. You and Bethany have been together. <laughs> she gon' Can you get that headshot ready? Because I'm about to give myself. I'm about to you have been with your primary partner, Bethany, for 12 years. Mm -hmm. You guys recently got married. And you were in a polyamorous relationship. We say 12 years. There were a good, there there have been a few like good chunks of years where we both were in very serious, committed relationships with other people. But we have never stopped talking to each other. So you were always tethered to one another? Always, in one way or another, yeah. Now, in a polyamorous relationship, just explain to me what it is. <laughs> in your own experience. The ability to hold space for more than one person at a time. Okay, the amount of jealousy yeah. I would feel, I don't think with another woman, but I think if you were with another man, right. that would well, we get to that me. Issue, that would. Sure. Yeah. So what's what's the guidelines? Like, how do you even, how do you even have that first conversation? 
Well, what is the first conversation? Like, we're going to be in a polyamorous relationship. Oh, well, we didn't ever, like, get into this knowing that this is what we were going to be doing. I mean, are you saying, like, how would I tell somebody else to have that first conversation? Or how did I have that first conversation? How did you have that first conversation with your wife? Well, yeah, we never really did, right? It, it, like, it just kind of, and I, like, this word is so cliche, but it, it happened so organically. We, we met 12 years ago. I was a kid. I mean, I was 18 years old. She was 20. And we have been every iteration of a relationship in these 12 years. Uh, we have both like grown into our own queerness in these 12 years. And I think polyamory is like part of the queer family in one yeah. way or another, whether it's a straight polyamorous relationship or not. And I think ultimately we have been dating other people f- for the last like 10 years, right? At one point, we were just like, oh, this is a polyamorous relationship. Like, yes, we're dating other people, but we are still here as the primary relationship. And I think it took, like, some trial and error, really. I think that we have da- we have dated some people that didn't really understand how Bethany and I were still so close. Yeah. Bethany and I didn't really understand what it meant. And the second, like, from the podcast, from having this conversation publicly, like... We op- we expanded our own education on the community as a whole and gender identity, and it just kind of like jumped at us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let me give a hypothetical. Okay. <laughs> Let's say you and I meet. Yes. We hit it off. Yes. There's sparks. Yeah, you see the ring on my finger. I see the ring <laughs> on your finger. How do you explain that to me? Yeah. Like, how do you walk me? Because I am I find that in the last few years, I think it's because of living in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. because, you know, opening my own thoughts and own minds, because of people like you mm-hmm. who are so open, I'm down to like experiment with some. Mm-hmm. I just know myself. Right. But how would you explain it to me? But you also know a version of yourself, right? And like, I think this idea of ourselves being fixed is really problematic. And I think that that is where I have fallen in love with the word fluidity. It's so much more than our gender identities or our sexualities. It's the ability to shape shift. And I think there there is always room for human beings to shape shift yeah. and to grow. We're not ever going to be one thing for the rest of our lives. It's just, yeah. I, yes, if you want to say that, I believe in you, like, <laughs> good luck. But I just don't, like, I don't believe in it for myself. You know, so we haven't really been dating anybody since we've gotten married. But now we are like, okay, we're getting the itch. We're like, enough is enough. It's time to hit the streets. <laughs> So I have started dating a little bit or or is starting the conversation and it's a different conversation now that we're married. And I think that it's easier in a lot of ways and also more difficult. I think the the union that we've created for ourselves is yes, very much so a civil union recognized by the state, but it is this like deeply spiritual union that I don't think that I've realized was going to affect me as much when I decided to get married as it has now. 
But I think that the bond itself, the the label of husband, wife, even though I think that those feed into the binary, which is a little bit problematic, spouse and spouse, yes. is a little bit easier to comprehend as a primary relationship being in a polyamorous relationship yes. moving forward for our secondary, tertiary, whatever relationships that we're bringing in. So, yes. You find it easier when you date outside of that primary for it to be another man. Oh, no. Well, first of all, I don't really believe in gender. So that's a whole other conversation. I'm like, I am <laughs> like literally keep on going. Preach it to me because I have tried to wrap my head around so this whole thing. So what I say, what? Okay, so we meet. Okay. I would say, hey, look, I'm married to my best friend. And navigating any sort of relationship outside of my marriage is going to be difficult, but it is going to be filled with honest, loving, nurturing, communication, and respect. I would say as a Scorpio, and knowing myself, <laughs> how much say does she have in our relationship? Like, well, it depends. am I getting the same amount of time as she is? Was it, well, is that what matters to you? Do you want the time split? I want to feel like the main bitch, even though I know I'm not the main bitch. Okay, well, you're never going to feel like the main bitch because there is a main bitch but like you could be like another main bitch in a different way i've known you now for a couple days i've known her her for 12 years fair enough you know so bethany and i navigate our relationships outside of our marriage a little bit differently i am like super this is going to sound crazy, but I'm super monogamous when it comes to my relationships outside of Bethany. Which is what I want. Yeah. Okay. Which is what I you just, want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if I'm dating you, I'm dating you. And Bethany is still my best friend, my forever partner, but I'm dating you. And then obviously the conversation about sex comes into play. Like, are which you is, still sleeping with them? Yes. And how does that change our sexual relationship? And it's been different over the years. Sometimes I have been dating somebody and Bethany and I were still having sex but some like Bethany and I went two years without ever sleeping together once and I think it just depends on also who Bethany is with at the time if she's being fulfilled if she's being but if, yeah I, I mean but like the sex that Bethany and I have is different than the new sex that I'm having because we've been having sex for, for 12 years there's 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 it's a much more intimate metaphysical connection yes and what we would do would be nasty for not i i mean it'd be nasty this would probably (laughs) be nasty yes but like i i've had that super metaphysical physical relationship with somebody immediately like you just never know when when you're gonna meet someone and it's just like you're in the stars already yeah but so navigating that conversation of are you still sleeping with Bethany while we're still sleeping together? The answer is I don't know yet. We haven't slept together yet. You know? <laughs> and, and like only time will tell. <laughs> but then the conversation of children comes into play. Yes. Bethany and I are planning on having children. Which is perfect for me because I always want to step children. Great. But great. Okay, so in a polyamorous relationship, do we ever mix? The two families. Are you talking about like hanging out, having dinner? Or are you talking about having sex? No, 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 no. I would never. I don't want to bump ugly with Bethany. <laughs> I'm just saying like yeah, it's when possible. she comes around, like is that hard for people to get used to? It's really important for me 
for whoever I'm dating to be comfortable with Bethany. So like if I like I'm starting talking to this person right now, we like have moved from it being like a social media conversation. Okay, so this, being... this interview is done because he is now with someone else and I'm out of here. No, I'm just joking. No, but it's still very, very early stages. There's still room here. <laughs> it, it has moved from like a social media relationship, just talking online to like moving from text messages and then the FaceTime star, right? And then like, we don't live in the same city right now. We have been on a couple dates, but like the FaceTimes happen and I live with Bethany now. I have an apartment in the city that we share and then we have a house upstate. Um, so we're not together all the time, but if like, girl, you're FaceTiming me on a regular basis, like Bethany is going to be in the room and like you need to be comfortable with saying like, hey, what's up? Girl? Yeah. Like, how are you? Right. And the first time that like the two of these people had a conversation, it was great. It was like, oh, hey, how are you? Like, yeah, that, that burger looks delicious. Like, yeah, yeah. Can't wait to meet you. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. You see, now that you're breaking this down to me, I feel like I wouldn't mind that. I feel like I would only mind it if in our polyamorous situation, if you'd break off and meet someone else right. and that person was a guy. I don't, I don't have time. And I, that's, I would be like, come on, like what, like what's going on? So why is the guy thing an issue? You want to be the only man in my life. I'm a jealous mother and I want to be the only guy in your life. I don't think I would have a problem with the girl, which is surprising to mm. me because I, again, I'm a Scorpio. Mm. I want everything to myself. Yeah. In my recent work that I've been doing on gender identity, I have really started to break down this construct of male and female and like recognizing the infinite space between. And I'm in a really interesting place right now because if I don't necessarily believe that gender is a real thing, then what is sexuality? Yeah. Then what, like, what is it? What is the difference between being attracted to you and being attracted to the person that was born with a vagina between their legs? Yeah. And I think that is actually even something that I've been not struggling with, but, but going through as somebody who is white, as somebody who is straight passing, as somebody who is cis passing, like, and like conventionally, I know, like very attractive, yeah. right? Like my body is fetishized in a way that like I'm trying to move past. Yeah. I'm trying to like move past the human connection as body to body. Yeah. And I don't know if that part of the conversation makes sense without. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm getting where you're going and it's it's giving me so much thought um, is this all in your book? This book that I wrote, all of it is you, really celebrates this this oneness, this divine frequency of love that unites all of us. I found like my own God in this book. Yeah. Okay. This it, man is deep, yo. This so, man is deep right here. And I think that without you, this is the idea for the book, without you, nothing exists. Okay. So it's about recognizing the simultaneity in everyone and everything that exists. Mm -hmm. And for me, like the closest that I've gotten to God is from a place of like release of like completely letting go yeah, and recognizing the unknowability that exists in everything that that like broken pureness is actually what unites us all. Yeah. Did that make any sense? No, no, it made sense. It made <laughs> sense. The broken pureness is where I caught. I was like, done. Mm. I get it. What's the response been from this book? 
interesting really positive these shows that I'm doing where I like actually get to spread the word in one way or another to these people that want to come and listen has been the most rewarding work I've ever done in my entire life I you know I I have these not kids because they're not kids but like these people that come to my shows and all they want to do is like share their lives with me and let them know how much this book and the work that I'm doing and the messages that I have have changed their life and saved their lives and I don't know. I feel like I'm just stepping into something that's so much more than I even realize what is happening. You're so open with the world and mm-hmm. everyone embraces it. And Not everyone. No, people embrace it. I feel like the mass audience and the people who matter embrace it. What does your family think mm-hmm. about your openness mm-hmm. and the journey that you have been on? My family came to my show this week in Chicago. And I'm not going to say that it was easy. Uh, it was difficult. It, I don't think they've ever seen me, or I know they haven't seen me like in the, this new light that I have created for myself. And you know, this poetry, like poetry isn't for everyone. I understand that. Yeah. I know that there is a performative artistry to what I am doing that like, I think it's hard for my family to separate the Nico that they know from what they saw on stage the other night. Yeah. For the most part, I would say they have been really positive on in regards to like the messaging that I have right now of sexuality and gender. There are some super Republican conservative folk in my family that just don't understand what the I'm talking about. I have the time. Same here. And, and that's okay. Like I, it's, it's, it's intention. But do you take blame for it? Because let me tell you this. I had to start to take blame for my mother and my family not being as supportive as I thought they should be. But I also realized that I haven't exposed them and I've hidden parts of my life yeah. from them. Mm-hmm. So I had to almost take blame for it. Have you had to do that within yourself lately? Uh, I don't know if it's taking blame, but I think... Responsibility. I, responsibility. Let me ask you Yeah, I mean, I... I I think that that, in essence, is the idea of the book. All of it is you. All of it is me. That, like, this this inherent homophobia or racism or transphobia that exists somewhere in my family is, in part, a piece of me. And it's not taking blame for that, but it's it's taking responsibility that this is where I have come from. And because I came from this place, I am able to speak the way that I am right now. And so it goes past blame, it goes past responsibility, and it lands in a space of gratitude, which is like the most incredible space to live when it comes to family. Because when I can look in my uncle's eyes and say, thank you for putting me through all of that because it brought me to where I am today and I love you. Um, can y'all get that wedding ring now? <laughs> We're about to add a third. We're about to add a third to this moment. It's funny because your character on this season of Younger is kind of going through these like this emotional journey and accepting things mm. and figuring things out. Are you bringing your personal life into this character? Are yeah. they writing it for you at this point? Well, I, I think in one way or another that happens on any, on any television show that lasts more than a couple seasons. The writers get to know the actors and they, they start writing for, you know, the players of, of the game. And Josh has always been close to my heart in terms of like how he expresses love. You know, playing Josh on this show has really 
been one of the greatest privileges of my life. Yeah. People know me in one way or another as Josh, as this very white, very straight, very cis passing dude. And so when I leave that show and I start having this conversation, it makes it so much more digestible because they're like, oh, that guy, Josh, is allowed to talk like this. Yeah. And like, for me, that's been my, like the most rewarding part of being on this show is like, it it makes everything I'm doing outside of it that much easier. When you look at yourself in 10 years, when Uh it comes to family, Mm -hmm. Where do you see yourself? Own personal family. Mm-hmm. And your polyamorous, yeah. um, bougie-ass house in upstate New York. <laughs> like, how do you I live imagine? in the middle of a forest in the middle of nowhere. I think that we have a few kids, three, uh, that are raised um, without gender. Um, that we let them make every decision that they want to make, as long as it's not hurting themselves or anybody else. Uh, we don't push anything on them and in terms of my own and our relationships i think that they will be ever evolving i think that bethany and i will be we get closer every single day that we spend together so 10 years from now you know we're that much closer and i think that there will probably be two other people that are more like staples in our relationship (laughs) and maybe one of those two other people maybe has other children of their own. And I think that uh, we are traveling a bunch as a community uh, and really spreading spreading love as the message. And our first date is when? Is, right, we just had it. Did we? Yeah. Was it a good one? It was good. I think, I mean, we read poetry to each other. This is the weirdest <laughs> first date I've ever had. It's so beautiful. But thank you so but much. Like every interaction you ever have or I ever have with anybody, should always feel like a first date. People listen to you, and I'm not just telling you that mm. to toot your horn or, like, to touch your ass. Like, you <laughs> make a difference. We're just getting started. There's so much work to do. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. You too. For breaking the mold. Mm. You guys, thanks for listening, and do not forget to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And be sure to come back every week for another pour of your favorite celebrity. Celebrity.